Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number one of our new movie podcast, Blister Cinematic. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you, as many of you know, can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So, folks, this is it. This is the new movie podcast that I dreamt up after Cody Townsend called me about a year and a half ago to say that we needed to start the Blister Awards. Well, now we finally are starting the Blister Awards, and the first annual Blister Awards for ski and snowboard films is going to be held on the final evening of our Blister Summit event in Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. The dates of the Blister Summit are February 4th through the 8th, 2024, and you all should come. We will include a link in the show notes of this episode where you can get more information about the Blister Summit and then register and then come join the party. But where this podcast comes in is that I didn't think that we should just put on an in-person award show for ski and snowboard films. I thought we ought to create a place where we could revisit and reassess iconic outdoor films of the past shine a light on some of the new projects coming out that ought to be on your radar, and basically document the past and present of outdoor films and debate their significance. So that's what we're going to be up to here at Blister Cinematic. And I gotta say, I think this first episode here gets us started with a real bang as Cody and I dive deep into Gaffney's Numerical Assessment of Radness, a.k.a. NAR. Finally, this episode of Blister Cinematic is presented by Blister Plus because many thousands of us are about to go get on snow in the next week or two. And folks, before you do, please get yourself signed up for our Blister Plus injury insurance. Because in addition to all of the gear discounts, and other benefits of being a Blister member, with Blister Plus, you get 12 months of injury insurance, and anytime you get injured while skiing, snowboarding, snowmobiling, or mountain biking, or commuting by bike, etc., and you need to go get an MRI, or a surgery, or a backcountry evacuation, or an ambulance ride, or doctor-prescribed physical therapy, etc., Well, with Blister Plus, you'll have up to $25,000 of those medical expenses covered, and that's per incident, and that's with a $0 deductible. So, for example, if you hurt your shoulder snowboarding in a couple weeks, you'll have up to $25,000 of medical expense coverage. And if then, five months later, you get hurt climbing at the gym or mountain biking, you'll then have up to another $25,000 to cover medical expenses for that injury. Our Blister Plus coverage works even if you don't have any insurance, and if you do have insurance, it will cover your deductible. This is something that we know is going to really help a ton of skiers and snowboarders and snowmobilers and cyclists and mountain bikers and climbers. In other words, many, many of our friends and family in the outdoors community. So please check it out. Please go find out how much your deductible is, because I'm learning that many people don't know that, and it's hugely important. And then you'll know how much you'll have to pay if 
You have to say go to urgent care or the emergency room or get a surgery. And then you can just do the math and sign up if this will save you money. So let's all be smart about this. Let's all be responsible. There's a reason why Cody Townsend and Elise Sogstad have purchased Blister Plus. And there's also a reason why a lot of current Blister members are upgrading their membership to Blister Plus because it just makes good sense. So check it out and sign up now before you start skiing or riding and before you get hurt. And now, speaking of Cody, let's get him in here because it's time to talk about NAR. Here we go. Well, Cody, the moment is here after much discussion of this particular new podcast show. Apparently, we're really doing it. Episode number one of Blister Cinematic. I'm excited. I mean, I think it's just an excuse to nerd out on <laughs> ski movies and outdoor movies yeah. and adventure films and stuff that I've just uh, done naturally for years. But you can't always do that with everybody. So you just have to, you know, start a podcast to do it. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's a big deal. Our first film on Blister Cinematic. I told you we didn't really discuss this one. I just, I think, texted you one day and was like, hey, our first film is going to be NAR the movie. I want to talk about a little bit of why we're opening with this film. The number one reason really was to revisit a film and pay an homage to Rob Gaffney, right? Who uh, we lost recently. You and I talked about Rob a bit on one of our Reviewing the News episodes, but I just thought this seemed like a, a proper way to start, to remember Rob, to talk about a film that he is a big part of, it seemed like a good way to launch this whole Blister cinematic project. Yeah, because I mean, I think that caveat is important because I will say upon rewatching this almost 13 years after mm -hmm. this film came out and having a feeling uh, after watching it so long ago of what this meant to the local community, to friends, to just kind of ski culture in general. And then watching it so much later, I definitely had a different interpretation of it mm -hmm. to the point where you're like, whoa, should this actually be right. the first episode of Blister Cinematic? But I think, again, it came down to it because of Rob and, um, you know, without spoiling anything and we're going to get into it, Rob's presence within this film is kind of one of the threads that ties the entire movie together. And I think one of the the strongest pieces of it. So um, just going back and seeing Rob and his philosophy and interviews and the way he kind of frames why this this game and this movie was important, I think was kind of one of the best parts about yeah, it. For sure. And yeah, we're going to get into it, all of it. And um, but that was the inspiration for why we wanted to start with NAR the movie. And let's start a few of the nuts and bolts of this. According to my research, the film first came out on January 14th, 2011, and it's 69 minutes long. <laughs> That's I actually didn't even note that. That, that was definitely uh, a Scott Gaffney joke within it. Yeah. I've never, I, I just saw an hour and nine minutes. I did not put two and two together. Uh huh. As all the kids say, nice. Nice. Um, the the film is directed by Rob Gaffney and Scott Gaffney and produced by Unofficial Networks. We will be talking about Rob on this show. I mean, if 
I just don't know that we need to say a whole lot about Scott Gaffney. He's been on our Blister podcast. I suppose there's a few people out there who don't just automatically know that Scott Gaffney is one of the most important filmmakers in the history of ski films. Um, I guess we can say at least that. Anything you want to add on that note about Scott and or Rob? Um, I know you, you summed it up right there. I mean, we could talk about Scott's career and where this came into. Before that, I wanted to go into kind of the production because I think this is like pretty interesting yeah. when it comes to Unofficial, yeah. which was the, you know, the producer behind this and Tim Conrad, who mm. is in the film, um, the guy who started Unofficial. Um, he also started a maritime blog called G Captain, which mm. seems exactly like Unofficial, but for the maritime world. So they're, it's kind of running, I guess, in what is seems to be very popular and successful these days, content aggregators. Mm. Um, but this this site and this movie in general seemed like like the biggest thing they did. And back in the day, I remember Unofficial was like quite a big name within the Valley. I mean, it uh, originally started off as um, actually I will say this caveat, too. This is one thing we're going to go into yeah. a lot in the film. One of the things that's going to be really hard to get around, and I'm going to apologize right off the bat if I say it, but the number of times that squaw is used yeah. was like jarring yeah. 13 years later. Yeah. And so when I label stuff, I might accidentally say it because although I've been very conditioned to just calling Palisades, Palisades yeah. Tahoe, it's just like so jarring. You're like, whoa, that was in your face. But uh, Tim Conrad started on official squad. Um, there was like a team and then they produced this movie. And then there was this big kind of funder um, named Patrick Ravelli, who is like a medical device entrepreneur. And he was the, the guy that I think put a lot of money behind uh, unofficial squad to make it a big media entity. And then I think really funded this film. So, you know, this film wouldn't have happened without pretty much a financier like that, whether there was the in the film and the game, the $25,000 prize and or just the hiring and the making of this film in general. Um, I mean, I'd heard rumors I don't know exactly, but like the poster, just making the poster, which is an iconic oh poster, God. was a $10,000 poster, uh, like to do that artwork. Uh, so they spent a lot of money on making this film, um, especially for, for, for the time. So just a little background on that. And then leading into Scott, Scott I think like from my understanding of just watching the film and knowing the time goes, like Scott wasn't really involved with the actual mm, pre-production of the film of you know like hey we're gonna cast you to direct this and make this he more came in at the end to edit it there was other people like uh greg martin um nick david and uh god i forget who was uh, and jeff wright who are all kind of ironically have i've worked with many times have hired for my companies like arcade they're all close friends mm -hmm. i think they did a majority of the pre-production and then scott came in and edited after um, but like in his career at this time, like he was at that point, like really, really involved with just MSP films. Mm -hmm. Like he, uh, this is post his after Walls of Freedom, 1999. And what I personally think is my favorite film from Scott, Immersion. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of being such a full-time guy for MSP. So this was a little like offshoot and one of the few kind of films he solely edited while being so heavily involved in the MSP era. So Back to the question of the significance of this film and why we're talking about it. Well, one thing we can do to make it even more clear, Rob Gaffney plays an extremely important part in this film, but we should also make explicit 
the title of the film, NAR, and the whole game of NAR, right, actually stands for, it's G.N.A.R. Gaffney's Numerical Assessment of Radness. Uh, so important, important fact for the three people who might not know that. Um, and, um, and so we wanted to revisit that. I think another thing, a question that is raised by this film that puts to the viewer, this actually might be the most fun idea and the most fun competition in the entire history of ski and snowboarding. If we just think of it from a historical, like playing the game of NAR, name a more fun yeah. thing. And we're going to get into this and kind of evaluate it. But I, I literally would put this up here in the history of snow sports. This film documents maybe the most fun game to ever take place in all of snow sports. So I liked, I thought that deserved mention um, when we start you know, debating the significance of the film. Um, I mean, what would be in competition? Because I can think of like super modified shovel racing at X Games. <laughs> that looked really cool yeah. back in the day. And, and X Games was in its absolute heyday of just doing the dumbest sports and not more like actual competitive athletic feats. Yeah. It was more just like ridiculousness. I can, you know, like I think some of the competitions in Europe, like the Derby de la Mege, mm -hmm. which is just essentially a full on downhill from the top of uh, Le Grave to the bottom. That's on this level of just ridiculousness. Um, you know, another McConkie inspired the the PMS, the Payne McSwankey. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, like, yeah, Nar, the way I realized in this movie how the game started out when they had the first day at Palisades Tahoe and what the game was going to be. It was like, this is actually going to be an incredible game. like how to tally these points uh -huh. and it was going to be a feat of endurance because i was trying to think about myself of like okay if i was actually competing in this two weeks how would you actually win that and you'd be going through the book looking at every little what are the highest points and then you'd be trying to maybe like lap that one like line that's worth a thousand points over and over and over and do it from 4 a.m to 4 you know 4 p.m being first in line at kt and then doing it till 4, 4 p.m. every single day. And it would have been an absolute like crazy con contest to actually try and tally up and win. I'm like complete feat of endurance. <laughs> um, like, um, unfortunately, as we see in the film, I think the entire game kind of shot its wad in the very first day and got themselves banned yeah. the entire mountain. Yeah. Um, but like it really is trying to think about it. It was like not only would it have been fun, it would have been really, really difficult to actually win. Yeah, it's a great point. I want to name maybe one or two other things just in terms of like the historical significance of this film. And we're, we're going to often do this in some of the films of the past that we are revisiting. Um, but I think a big thing is that this film also raises the question of how fun and how silly and how irreverent can skiing be or should skiing be, right? And again, I mean, we're going to get into it. I think watching this film at the very end of 2023, there are some scenes where they're now slightly embarrassing or very embarrassing or they're no longer politically correct. And which then raises, I'm sure somebody will be upset with us that we are even discussing this film. And that's okay. Like, I get that. And yet, I think one of the things that this film still does a real service of is for anybody who watches it now, 
um, you can see where it's pressing certain limits and crossing certain lines. And I think each of us gets to sort of look at and think that's gone too far nowadays, or that's not just funny. It's simply just poor taste, right? And I am less interested in, you know, sort of judging the film on every single scene and everything single thing that is said and far more interested in this as that exercise because it is kind of the fundamental question that Shane McConkey is asking right when he you know creates the game of nar you know and there is the book squally wood this is done because Shane thinks that skiing has become way too serious, way too boring, right? I disagree with you on that. I think that was just the way Shane was. I don't think Shane ever went into anything of talking about the philosophy of skiing. Like in the movie, you can see that Rob, I think, is much more of a of a thinker. Okay. It's like thinking about like rules, regulations, corporations, like mm-hmm. uh, culture and whatnot. Shane was just Shane. Like that, he was just a force of nature that was original, funny, and just that's who he was. Like, I don't think he ever went into a ski day Hmm. and an idea thinking like, you know, like we got to do something to change the culture of skiing. He was just, he was just funny. He was just ridiculous. He just made a a stupid competition out of everything. And so like, you know, this movie, like I, I get a lot of people that, and I see it of people saying like, this is one of their favorite ski movies of all time, because I think the general thesis of just like, don't take yourself seriously, make fun of yourself. Mm-hmm. This, this sport is just about going out there and having fun is its greatest export. Um, I think it's the greatest export of, of Shane. Mm-hmm. And I also think it is of like kind of the culture from Palisades at that time. It was just, it was ridiculousness. It was just like, have fun, make fun of yourself be stupid and just like don't take anything too seriously don't you know the whole notion of like saying i'm the raddest skier on the mountain Mm -hmm. while also just pushing is just making fun of the fact that everyone here thinks they're like really rad and so it was this like you know joke upon oneself that everyone thinks people from palisades think we're the raddest people in the world so we'll just own it and say like i am the raddest person on the mountain um but like Ultimately, like what I ended up thinking about this movie was it reminded me of a song. Do you ever listen to Tenacious D? Oh, yeah. And Jack Black? Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, there was a song called Tribute. And it's about this story of like defeating the devil by playing the greatest song in the world. And then they say in it, this is not the greatest song in the world. No, this is just a tribute. So they're singing a tribute song to the greatest song in the world because they forgot the actual greatest song in the world. And this movie kind of reminded me of it because all it was was just a giant tribute to Shane. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that's great about it is because it's taking Shane's spirit. But it also made me realize like there was some lack of originality throughout the movie. There was kind of jokes that start to get old and repetitive. And maybe that's through time because I've been hearing the same joke that's said in this movie a hundred times now for 15 years. Um, So it kind of feels a bit old and stale, but it ultimately I'm like, this isn't the greatest ski movie in the world. It was just a tribute uh-huh. to the greatest ski movie maker in the world being Shane McConkey. I like that. Um, so, which has its, like, its importance. Like there is, this is pre-McConkey, the documentary yep. that came out after his death. So this was something that kind of like, I think really galvanized a lot of people around Shane. You can see Shane is so present without the, throughout this movie. 
the way the people acted, the way even talking about like what would Shane have wanted us to do, um, all those things. It was very, very Shane focused. So I think like to a lot of people that think like this is their best, one of the best ski movies of all time. I think it's just because it's really trying to embody Shane's spirit. And that's like the significance of the movie. Like it's taking one of his creations being Gnar, even though it's Gaffney's numerical assessment of Ratness. It was technically McConkie's numerical (laughs) assessment of Ratness, but as I say in the movie, Menar doesn't, <laughs> you know, is not a great word. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, um, ultimately, like, I think it's a kind of a great, interesting export of, of, of ski culture at that time. That's yeah. Well, well done. Well said. All right. Do we want to talk about some of the athletes slash actors in this film? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, the interesting thing at this time, like this was in an era, you know, pre-social media, pre-athlete content. It was still ski movies reigned king and yeah. ski movie stars were the biggest thing out there in skiing. And um, so to have a ski movie that was entirely made of just local skiers, local Joes and pros, like semi-pros and not actual pros was pretty actually interesting for the time. And then just watching it and like looking back at all these names and like close friends of mine. And so I actually went through and literally listed out every one of these people. And I don't know exactly what everyone was doing as a job then. Some of them I do, but I kind of wanted to go through what they are now just to show kind of how just kind of average people these were. I mean, I don't want to say that in a derogatory way. It's not that they're average people, but just your local ski bums essentially. So there's Matthias Sullivan, um, who I've worked with at Jobs before. He's been a video producer for GoPro. Ironically, I believe he's working for Vail now um, as a video producer, which is kind of the greatest twist from this movie. I think it's like to go from being like one of the star major stars of the movie yeah. to working for Vail is kind of ironic. But Matthias is a great guy. Super nice dude. Got Greg Lindsay, who is one of my best, closest friends. He was a groomsman. Hmm. Um God, I don't even know what he was working at at that time, but um, he was just one of the like best skiers at the mountain. Currently, he's studying to get land surveying uh, degree and he's working for land surveyors. We got George Jelty. He was the best man at my wedding. Um, He's a restaurant manager, winemaker. Chuck Mumford, which is pretty an interesting (laughs) one, founder of Pit Viper. Definitely the biggest career arc from being a NAR to, I don't know, be worth nine figures. (laughs) Like the guy that was sleeping in his van. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well traveling around for nar is now like a multi multi multi-millionaire that's an interesting career arc um got john Langey, who is i ski raised with growing up he was a ski racing coach he's now an arborist locally huh. got ralph backstrom who's an incredible snowboarder mm-hmm. freeride world tour competitor now he's running a coffee shop locally huh. so a coffee nerd makes very ooh, good coffee ooh. um Matt Jackson, um, he was the CEO of Grundens for quite a while. Mm. Um, his dad actually started Grundens USA, and then he went to take over Grundens. Uh, it was pretty shortly after this film came up. He actually had to move up to Seattle, didn't really get to ski as much anymore. He's since resigned and now back here in the Valley. See him and his family around. Um, well, this is an interesting one. We got two people um, that are currently running and or on town councils. So we got Ryan Slack. He's on the town council in Basalt, which uh, I hope the voters saw NAR before voting for him. (laughs) We've got Spencer Cordovado, who lives in Sun Valley. Um, He's running film production. I've actually ran into him when we were out there for one of the 50 Hmm. 
um, episodes and he's running for city council in Ketchum. So we got two city council members or potential um, from this movie. Um, Jamie Blair, who is a complete real estate mogul now, he looks about the oldest guy in this film and now he's like, yeah, he's like the real estate, huh. commercial real estate guy here up in Tahoe. Alex Cox, a restaurant manager, um, believe he's still managing a restaurant locally. I don't know 100% for sure. Josh Anderson, kind of semi-pro skier. He's doing Ski for the Love films, but he's actually now inspired by Rob Gaffney studying psychiatry and psychology. Uh, so he's trying to get his um, master's or doctorate in that mm -hmm. to become a psychiatrist. And it was really inspired by Rob. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, we've got a golf course superintendent and Phil Hoban. Um, the Sylvain Duclos, the random French guy that was in there, who has, I think, the best quote in this entire movie. He's back in France, from what I can tell. <laughs> Andy Hayes, I still ski him around Palisades. But, uh, and then there's two people I had no idea about. I didn't know him, Mike Vaughn and Brian Murphy. And unfortunately, their names were a little too, uh, I was going to say, common to Google. So the, sorry, Mike, and sorry, Brian, if you're listening, if you're one of the hundred. Um, yeah, come in and tell me what you guys do. But uh, pretty cool to kind of go through this and like see the character arcs from NAR, where people are completely debasing themselves, skiing butt naked and doing ridiculous stuff to like being on city councils, yeah. being multimillionaires, running a large company like Grundon's. Yeah. Pretty, pretty fascinating. I mean, you did leave out, importantly, that there's a very spry looking Cody Townsend in this film. Uh, I texted so you this. Young. You looked. I think I lied and said you looked like you were nineteen. You actually looked like you're more like eighteen, seventeen, eighteen. I was like, this guy's either really grown up or aged badly. I don't know what's happened, but you look. You look I think, real young, Buck, in this in this film. I think go look at the first year of the fifty to the twenty nineteen. I look like ten oh, years this, older than the fifty. Is this parenthood? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's parenthood and suffering. I think it's like, you know, doing type two adventures over and over and over okay. and sleeping in the snow and being exposed to, I think I've aged a lot since the 50s started. Okay. That's what I really blame it on. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you apparently did not participate in the game, but you are interviewed several times while you're wearing your pro team swatch hoodie or something. So, like, tell us a bit about, like, what was going on in your life then and, and uh, why you weren't out there, you know, doing BBNs, as Chuck Mumford talked about, bloody butt naked runs. Well, I, I was still really, really trying hard to be a pro skier. And in 2010 was kind of my first breakout in MSP. Um, so, like, I think I was just like, I remember thinking, like, I kind of want to enter this contest because $25,000 is a lot of money. That's like half your annual income at that level, at least. Um, so, but it was also like my, I was so focused on trying to be a professional skier and mm -hmm. film with MSP. It probably set everything aside um, in order to do that. And I remember actually at that point, I was filming a little bit with TGR. Uh, I still was competing. So definitely just more than anything, wouldn't have the time to set aside yeah. two weeks in March, a prime time season. So um, I was, I remember being pretty like honored that they even you know, interviewed me because you're alongside these people like JT and Rob and Scott and Ingrid in the film. And uh, I was like, whoa, I'm getting interviewed for this. I'm not nearly at that level, but I was trying to be at that level um, at that time. So that's probably why I didn't enter it at the time, even though I do remember it being tempting. All right. Well, time to dive deeper into the film. So you and I have been working over the last 
actually like, I don't know, 12 months or so on some recurring award categories that we're going to be, again, using for probably most of the older films that we are revisiting. And so we're going to start with, maybe we'll do kind of our top three or four or five most rewatchable scenes. We'll kind of put out some of our contenders and then maybe at the very end of that, settle on like our number one choices each, see if we, we end up agreeing. But um, I'll let you start. What do you want to throw out as one or two of the most rewatchable scenes? Well, I think there was two that really stood out to me. One of the things that was kind of fascinating going back, it was that like there actually wasn't like a scene that was just like laugh out loud, dying funny, which mm-hmm. I seem to remember back then seemed incredibly funny. But it's also, again, I think because the culture of NAR has spread so widely uh, throughout kind of skiing that like the yelling, I'm the best skier on the mountain, uh, the pro call outs have been going on for so long now that they're almost a little tired. And so seeing it back and you're like, yeah, no, I've heard that joke for 13 years in a row. Um, We always joke around locally. It was Shane's last practical joke on all pro skiers (laughs) is that he, right before he died, uh, you know, made sure that every pro skier for the rest of eternity is going to get called out over and over wherever they go mm. and have to suffer through that indignity while he doesn't have to. Um, so I will say in uh, that, yeah, Shane, that that happened and you won. So um, the joke is definitely at this point, you're like, not as funny as it used to be. But um, for scenes, I go back for the intro. So the intro really caught me in a way that it was much more documentary style than I remember. Yeah. It was much more like serious documentary, like giving to an outside observer, like the necessary background information to what the culture of Palisades Tahoe around Shane was at that time. Yeah. And it did a really good job yeah. of kind of summing up like Shane's legacy, the culture, the kind of the way that this book and this game was organized. And I I found that section like really awesome to watch again, but it was much more serious than I remember. The whole film is as a whole in a certain way had a little bit more of a documentary feel than I remember. Um, And then the, the second scene I would put up for nomination is the, the selection committee, the the four people lined up and coming in to select who's going to be in the game in NAR. That was like genuinely funny where you could tell they just, would sit down somebody and just not say a word for like an uncomfortably long amount of time. And like (laughs) the the people coming in, just you could see the like, uh, what the hell is going on in their eyes? What am I supposed to say? Um, That scene was great. Grant Kay, who's been a longtime friend of mine, he, I think, kind of owned that scene. I almost think he did the best. He was the guy with the afro. Um, So good. So the, I would say the selection committee of the intro. I definitely had the interviewing committee up there in terms of the most rewatchable. I want to give a special shout out to Ralph Backstrom's phone call of Debbie Dutton. It's, I, I wanted to list that too, but I felt awkward for listen, listing that. But it was amazing. It's amazing. It's probably is the single best scene, like true scene. Incredibly well done. Ralph should be an actor. If you haven't watched the film recently or never at all, you're going to be you're in for something uh, when when that scene does come up. But I thought I thought Ralph absolutely crushed that phone call. I had also put up there basically every single shot of Rob as saucer boy. Um, And as you said, Mm. it was less about one specific scene, but sort of every scene of him as saucer boy is pretty great. If I had to pick a single standout scene. Saucer Boy 
riding on top of the RV down the highway mm-hmm. is um that strikes me as that could go down in the you know the annals of ski film pretty good. We could maybe even say this later too, but like one of the things that really stood out to me was how good of a skier Rob was. Yeah, like he has by far the best single shot of skiing in the movie. When he's at Alpine and he's dressed in the judge uniform from the selection committee, he does one line and he kind of side checks it and it doesn't matter because the way he pops off the first air kind of does a nice smooth like two turns and then just like side hits off like a 35 foot air to like airplane turn onto like an opposite side transition and like kind of side pops or rides out of it and then does it like the pole wave that comes from the trailer that scene that shot right there i was just like oh my god it's rob was the smoothest skier he had fluidity in his skiing and i was like uh, you know this was kind of one awards later on but i wanted more of that i Uh wanted more rob Uh skiing because it was really awesome to watch Uh, um are we ready to move to like single out your your best or favorite segment would we say that so the selection committee or Rob, I, I probably actually, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with Rob in Saucer Boy. That seemed to be probably the, the highlight of the most rewatchable. Yeah, I, I, um, I actually wrote down for best, if I had to go like sort of cheating again, but if anything were to top the scenes with Rob as Saucer Boy, it would be the Shane McConkie flashbacks and listening to a number of skiers getting choked up talking about Shane and the, the film does a great job of that, right? Like very, very authentically in case anybody forgot, like reminding people of what the kind of impact he had certainly in that local area among some extremely good skiers, but it just was such, you talk about a tribute, bringing it home, how much Shane meant to people And all these years later, like how much he still means and how there really, there hasn't been somebody that's kind of come up right after Michael Jordan. Well, we did get Kobe Bryant and we got LeBron James and we got some people that maybe aren't the original, but man, and, and this is one where all these years later, I just don't, I don't think we've had anybody kind of step into those sort of shoes of Shane. I don't think anyone ever will. Yeah. I think he's one of one. Yeah. Um, I think like as for much, even like early in my career, when I was doing slapstick, silly stuff on camera, a lot, a lot of it was because I just loved skiing so much. I get down to the bottom of the line and just want to act like a complete idiot. But a lot of it was influenced by, by Shane yeah. and you want to be like your heroes. Yeah. He was the guy I looked up to the most. Um, and still like when I go back and watch a movie like McConkey, I'm like, man, like still we need to keep following in this guy's footsteps so um like there's even what i did was like a fraction of the genius that he was like he was just on a different level like i was just mimicking what he did and i think so many people in this film shows we all were just mimicking and trying to do what shane would want or kind of how he would act and so um, yeah, I think one of the most touching scenes, I remember when Kevin O'Meara is yeah. kind of almost tearing up yeah. talking about it. That was actually like to show that this, you know, this is a silly game, but this did have a lot of weight because this was pretty recent after his death. And uh, um, yeah, it was pretty kind of touching in those moments. Okay. Another award. We, 
<laughs> we put in here best slash worst crash or close call. Um, and maybe to modernize this subtitle, it's uh, otherwise known as who needed blister plus the most. What did you what did you have for this one? Uh, Mike Vaughn at Alpine. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you know, we don't know who Mike was or I still don't know who he is. But holy shit, buddy. The. <laughs> He went in and straight lined a very narrow, very rocky shoot that then had some sort of turn at it and then just hit like a kicker with a rock at the end of it and just went flying out into the flats like, whoa, that seemed way above pay grade. That line was like, it's a serious line. It looked like, especially for an inbounds line. And that looked like he was on the edge of control from the moment he dropped in. It was like, you know, it's one of these things like watching the film and there's a lot of very good skiers yes. but then you also see it as like well there's a reason a lot of these guys aren't professional skiers because they were a lot of looseness <laughs> there's a lot of craziness uh but uh you know like yeah there's some crashes but mike vaughn to me mike man vaughn. like i hope that guy has blister pus now because that looked like a very questionable decision on line selection um i would give it a uh probably a yeah d minus on line selection <laughs> and a d minus on execution <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great all right best line which in this case we actually mean best quote of the film i actually have three i'll go from third second and then to like my number one uh tim conrad this cracked me up there's a scene where right um they have been told by palisades are no longer allowed to continue the game there and everybody's sitting around in a room we're all wondering what do we do and uh, Tim is talking about, well, you know, Shane sure wouldn't have wanted us to quit now. And then he says, I mean, did we give up when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? And I don't know why, but that really made me, it made the whole room laugh. And I was, um, I was laughing too. So that, that gets my, my, well, that, my number mean, three. I, I love that as a line, but it's just a ripoff. It's just a line from Bluto from um, Animal House. Well, I mean, this is tributes on tributes, right? This is what we're... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And... Uh, okay. Well, I mean, it still was a great use. Great use. I should say that. Great use. a great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Okay. What do you got for number two? I didn't have that on So, I don't remember who said this, but I was like coming back from a meeting to come meet you to record this. And there's a scene where somebody like says out from their van uh, parked in a scary parking lot, did you hear me puking last night? And the answer is, I didn't, but there's evidence of it everywhere. <laughs> I, Matt Jackson. Was it Matt? I remember that scene. Yeah, it was Matt Jackson. And then, I mean, the the clear number one for me, and... Um, we probably have the same number one. We have to have it, right? Well, it's Rob's speech at the end of the film. My reason for getting involved with it is because I'm just a firm believer that our world needs to stay open. Our world is so full of regulation. It really mutes who we are as human beings and who we are as a society. Things like this, things like NAR that kind of push the boundaries, they need to exist. We had an awesome time. Got us in contact with a lot of really cool people and a lot of really cool experiences. And uh, one person that we connected with was Wayne Long. Wayne told me that he feels like skiing is getting a little bit boring. He says it's getting a little too serious. And uh, I had to agree with him. You know, I mean, everything in the park, everything in the big mountain, everything in the race scene is pretty darn serious these days. Everybody's getting so good at what they do. 
And this trip right here kind of reminded me that bringing fun back into skiing is a really important thing. Just to honor the man himself, not me. You know who I'm talking about. We gotta keep the humor in this sport and we gotta keep it fun and having a good time out there. So I just ask all of you guys who are gonna be skiing at Squaw this week, maybe don't do any butt nakeds out there because you will get your pass pulled. But go ahead and ramp it up a little bit and have a really good time out there. Right, so we're talking about this question that I kind of raised at the start, and Rob says it really well here, raising the question, has this thing that really for many of us is just about having a great time outside, typically with your friends, has this sport sort of gotten too serious? And I think one of the things that's really interesting is we're reassessing this film and finding maybe certain elements of it, you know, to have crossed lines, to not be politically correct. The irony is that the more we might feel that way, the more this question is kind of coming back to be a live question. And I think that is actually one of the best and most lasting elements of the film, that if somebody is watching it 30 years from now, that question is still going to be posed. I'm not mad at all that the film does pose that question. I think it's a great thing. I agree. I sit there quite often. I mean, going into the 50, I looked at Ski Mountaineering. We've talked about this. I thought it was like too serious a sport. Mm -hmm. If you tell in the first couple of years, I was trying to do very absurd episodes and make fun of kind of everything and myself and whatnot. And the, the funny part is, the deeper you get into something that's athletically challenging, physically challenging, mentally challenging, of course, it's going to get serious. But what I do like about watching films like NAR, what Shane brought, all these kinds of things is to continually remind yourself like, hey, don't ever take it too seriously. Don't get into your head all that much because the point of this sport is just having fun yeah. and having fun in different sort of ways. Sometimes that might be in the form of pushing yourself in a serious way, but also like you got to get humble every once in a while. And I think this movie in its end is important, but, um, but I'm going to go through mine. Okay. okay. So like my quotes, and I can't believe we didn't have any single huh. one, but uh, Greg Lindsay saying, can't just get rad by yourself. You got to tell people about it. I mean, that's kind of like the thesis of the movie great. in many ways. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, a, it should be the, does a tree fall in the woods kind of thing. Make a sound right. for skiers is you can't just get rad by yourself. You got to tell people about it. You can't just get rad by yourself. And, you know, I gotta tell people about it. So after you ski a line, you have to go over to a group of strangers and you have to say, I'm the best skier on the mountain. Um, Chuck Mumford saying, I think I've studied more for this than I have for any college exam I ever did. So hopefully I'll do better than a C. JT Holmes, I thought this line, where in JT's way of saying, Poor little eight-year-old kid scarred for life looking at Jamie Blair's package. I mean, seriously. <laughs> what do you think's going to happen? After day one of getting kicked out of Palisades, he summed it up brilliantly, yeah. JT. Of course you're getting kicked out. Yeah. But, um, but to me, the best line hmm. was done by someone not from Palisades, not from even Utah, not from even our country, was the lone Frenchman, Sylvain Duclos, who, after getting kicked out of the out of Palisades, says, "Now I'm thinking, man, we should have done this competition not in the U.S. It cannot be done in the U.S. If we won the full point, unfortunately, 
So let's go to my house in France and we'll all get naked, pull on shit in the middle of the run and have fun. <laughs> I was like, that was unbelievable. It was like the most absurd line. It was like, yeah, let's go to France. Anything goes. Let's all get naked and poo and shit in the middle of the run. I mean, just like that's the line that made me laugh more than any other other line 13 years after this film came out amazing good good job by us i think on that we we picked we picked some good ones in there um and we're gonna get back to that sentiment because we're gonna we're gonna talk about maybe near the end could this film get made today and and Mm -hmm. so we'll raise this that quote may come back uh, up here in a minute so before we get into some of the other stuff, I got two kind of awards that you didn't put in yeah. your list and I want to put these in there. And this kind of category is, I think it's, I need answers. Yeah. Um, and I do need answers for this. And I even texted this person trying to get answers for it because I did not remember this from the first film. But Jackie Peso showing up for like two scenes of interview footage from the selection committee, but then just disappearing from the film after that. What the hell happened there? Like, where did Jackie go? I don't know. Um, I was talking to Elise, who's one of her best friends. They just made here I hold my kid together. And I was like, do you know what happened? She's like, you know, the, the thing was in 2010, it was really, really hard as a woman to get any sort of space in, in any sort of ski movie. Huh. And she said, might, might be the answer, but um, especially because this film was very, very male oriented yeah. um, in terms of everything. Yeah. Um, so who knows where Jackie went, but I would have really loved to see Jackie in the game of NAR. So I don't know if she wasn't selected, if she pulled out, but I need answers for that. The other one, the best cameo. Hmm. Um, so this is something that ties back to reviewing the news. So the guy that ends the game of NAR that comes out into the KT line and kicks everyone out, pulls all their passes, tells me, he's like, this isn't me. This is management shutting it down. Well, that is the same guy that we did a whole segment on and reviewing the news about the guy that yelled at that kid and the the video of that yelling going viral from Palisades just last year. That was Ivan, which was kind of ironic. (laughs) I was like, oh, man, this poor guy. He's only showing up on film as the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, like, Ivan's a genuinely nice guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I know him. He's a great dude. We talk and... You know, you work for a company, sometimes you get thrown out as the bad guy. Um, as we talked about in reviewing the news, might have been having, it was a stressful winter last year. We made all those excuses. We don't know. But I just thought that cameo of Ivan shutting down the game of NAR was ooh, pretty fitting. Sorry, Ivan. Those are great. Those are great. Should we go into what's aged the best from this film? Yeah, let's get, let's get into that. I, I don't know that I have like a clear ranking or order of these but some of the i have four um but possibly my number one you've already mentioned it is actually the movie poster i forgot i I forgot the movie poster is unbelievable and would should be up there go to like all hollywood films sort of ever made it is that good i don't know i need this poster or something but um movie poster incredibly well done i have that poster framed it's an amazing poster i think it's one of the best ski movie posters yeah um i will say like a good ski movie poster so like it was wild i posted uh here hold my kid poster which is a really good Mm. poster and it was my most successful post on instagram over the last couple years Mm. 
So I would say like the Here Hold My Kid poster is kind of up there, but I do think this poster aged very, very yeah. well. It's timeless. Um, I also think like the thesis of the film yeah. aged the best of just being let's have fun. Because I think in this next category, what aged the worst is going to yeah. potentially have a bit longer of a list. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I had written down the idea, first of all, of the book, attaching a line with a score at any given ski area is still just a pretty great idea. And then, of course, just the idea of the game, which we've already said. I mean, the game, I have put it out there. It's maybe the most fun competition in the history of all snow sports. Um, so that has to be up there. Um, I did also uh, really love the specific like credit title for Grant K, which when he first appears with his absolutely amazing hair, it just says Shane's fuzzy friend. <laughs> and, and his whole look and vibe I would watch anything with Grant doing anything. I think uh, he he seems amazing. And here's to Shane's fuzzy friend. Yeah, Grant's a good friend of actually. He was uh, one of the early kind of employees for Arcade. Oh, cool. He's a photographer. He's one of the biggest nerds I know. He's one of the smarter people I know. I think he's a volcanologist, Whoa. which is pretty incredible. I don't know who it is. I'm sorry. But the person skiing buck naked except wearing a spine protector that was amazing. <laughs> I was wondering, does that that doesn't qualify? I don't know, to me but it was great. Like, I thought that too. I was like, did you just straight line patrol shoot with a back protector but naked? I was like, to me, I don't think that qualifies because you're taking some of the risk out of a butt naked. One of the like the main you know qualifiers, the main ingredients of skiing butt naked. When everybody's skiing buck naked, that's how you get yourself to stand out. Apparently, you just throw on a back protector. Yeah. So anyway, okay. To the flip side of the coin, what's age the worst? Um, <laughs> you go first. I put I put the film itself, <laughs> like the entire film. <laughs> it's pretty shocking to watch 13, 12 years later. Um, like just how much humor has changed yeah. and how much culture has yeah. changed in that time. There's a lot of things, whether it's just the complete like unbelievably male juvenile yeah. dominated humor throughout it that at times crosses the line of just like, you know, of course it's always fine. I think when you're being ridiculous, I think it's fine when you take off your clothes in straight line, that's funny. And they kind of prove that in the yeah. film, how, you know, people that are, they go up and interview yeah. and they're like, yeah, that's fun. That's funny. There's certain things, but there was certain things that are just like, yeah, that's a little over the mm -hmm. line. And you go look in the era of those movies, um, you know, the movies I think like super bad that you watch now and you just kind of cringe at the humor, um, you know, things that would be considered almost homophobic. And you're just like, no, I guess that was kind of the humor back then, which is unfortunate as we I think we progressed for the positive to like not demean other people, demean yourself, make fun of yourself the whole time. Don't try to ever demean other people. And there wasn't necessarily exact things, but there was just things that just seemed like they didn't have the genius of Shane. Like that was what was so great about Shane. Quite often his humor never made fun of anyone else, never put anyone else lower than himself. He was generally making fun of pro skiers, which he was. He was making fun of ego, which he had. He was making sh fun of showmanship, which he did. Like Saucer Boy was making fun of himself as a pro skier that gets rad. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's one of the things when you hand that humor off to someone, I think that's not as smart as, and as Shane, it kind of comes off a little bit differently. So the, the film itself, watching it again, I think part of it is a lot of that humor has just been so pervasive that it's just not as funny as it was back then. So watching the film now, you're like, yeah, it's not as timeless as a film as I actually once thought. Maybe the the thesis, some of the stuff that Rob says, but some of the stuff that makes it, it was like, it was a, a little, little rough in places. I found myself thinking about this, you know, as we go and revisit a bunch of films from the past, while we may have started with episode one with what might end up feeling like an, the most extreme example, I don't know. We'll see what we find. I found myself thinking about this and I wonder what you think of it. It's a bit of a, of a half-baked hypothesis, but when we, we're used to seeing these scenes, I don't know, maybe from the 1950s, of all of these people being outraged by the new. Like, so think about, you know, Elvis Presley. Think about the Beatles, right? The Rolling Stones. There was a portion of culture that was railing against the new. And this is going to be the downfall of everything. What I find interesting, again, working hypothesis, very half-baked, I feel like we might be in a point in time where our outrage is less focused on the new and more focused on the past. So that when we go back and revisit a film like this, a book from 20, 30 years ago, we are really coming back and imposing upon it the very specific lens of the very particular point in time that we are now living in. And that's fine, except I do want to remind people that the stuff, especially for creative sorts, the conversations we're having today, the films that are coming out today, those might get interrogated 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And I just think it's a bit of a good reminder, or it's food for thought at least, before we get too confident that our exact morality and ethics right now is sort of the high watermark in the history of ethics and politics and everything else, maybe there's a good little reminder to tread carefully on that front because we're going to be judged as well. And so I'm, what I don't want to do is sit there and say, so every single thing in this film is absolutely fine and nobody should be offended in the least about anything. That is not it. But I do, I did find myself thinking a bit about, are we currently seeing, it used to be this expression of cultural outrage about the new. Now, maybe we're seeing a bit more of cultural outrage expressed about the past. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I would push back a little bit on that because I think it's just for whatever your if you want to say political or cultural ideology is you're going to be focused on one or the other. Um, because I think there are people that are really focused and outraged about things that are changing and things that are going to be happening in the future. And then vice versa, mm -hmm. there's people that are looking backwards and maybe trying to point the finger and whether we say cancel it, which whatever it is, like, I just look at things like this and yes, the, the emotion that you have when watching it years later of kind of cringing, mm -hmm. Well, that means you've regressed. That means you've yeah. learned. And we look totally. back at it and being yes. going like, okay, well, we're moving forward. Yeah. So that was a part of history. If we acknowledge the things that were wrong with it, then we can move forward. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it deserves to still exist. 
because not everything in life is perfectly black and white. There's a lot of gray. As we've said, I think the thesis of this film is important. Some of the things and the humor within it where you're like, you cringe a little bit and you're like, yeah, we can still have that thesis, but we are not going to make it up with the same sort of, you know, humor that was maybe in this. We're going to still have this don't take yourself seriously kind of way, but also not look back at it and be like, well, you can never have that kind of, you know, thesis or that film ever because they there's a few things that were completely wrong with it. So so I'm like, uh, I, I, I see what you're saying um, and I tend to agree with you. But I also think if you were to flip it from the other side, there's a whole swath of culture that's looking forward and saying the world's falling apart is going to yeah. fall apart because of change, because of progress and whatnot. So. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, looking back and it was interesting though, because you're like, I do remember thinking this film at that time, you're like, wow, that was really funny. That was amazing. That was ridiculous. And then you go back and you're like, mm, not as funny as it was. And doesn't mean that humor is gone. I still see a lot of funny people out there. See a lot of funny films. Here old my kid, I was just in a theater and people were like belly mm-hmm. laughing and there's nothing that's like degrading about it. So it's not like humor is going away. Yeah. It's just changing. So um, ultimately, like, that's where it's like part of the thing. What's age the best is this thesis of the film. But what age the worst to me is kind of like the film itself. So it's like it's important. But there's also things about it that you like look back at and let's stay. And then some of my what age the worst is about to get a lot less serious. But let's stay on a really serious one. The ski area has changed its name. Palisades. You and I have talked about this. You and I both very much support the name change. We think that's a positive thing. How does all of this just square, and maybe especially what I just said, about you know going back and taking it easy on the past or showing some acknowledgement? Like when we do wince or cringe, that is a sign that like, oh, we have grown in terms of our recognition, awareness on certain things, our empathy, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, the former name of Palisades is said a ton in this film. Um, I said multiple times through the film. And, and I mean, somebody who's like, therefore, that is why I would say this film shouldn't be watched again. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, that I think that's ridiculous. There is like, I mean, there was a point in the old names history where they literally had the logo for the mountain was a native woman mother in a dress and a native daughter on a pair of skis riding together and they moved away from that because even they knew that at that point was offensive they kept the term i will say back in the day like you were vaguely aware that maybe that was a derogatory term but no one really knew as more voices have given more volume for good reasons we've changed it a lot of people i see think it's some like corporate change or whatever you're like no it's actually an empathetic change and an acknowledgement of the the people that have lived here for thousands of years continue to live here and want to feel welcome at this place that they used to call home so you know the you go back and you do kind of cringe in it, at it it was interesting to me too because you hear it so much like i said in the beginning like i've done a really good job where that name doesn't even pop up in my head anymore it's just palisades mm-hmm. it is hard sometimes to speak about history and calling something like you know, the when I grew up on the Palisade ski team, you're like, well, I didn't grow yeah. up on the Palisade ski team. I was on the SVST. And so those are the things looking back at it and the culture and the words you're like, well, it's that's in the past. Mm-hmm. Things have progressed. We can watch this film. We know that word is now as of, is offensive. We've been educated to that fact. We have since changed it. 
we can still have this culture of ridiculousness, making fun of each other, of each other and ourselves because it's a healthy <clears throat> part of the sport. Um, but we just don't use that term anymore. The opening music, the very opening music is I'm horrified right now. I'm blanking on which ween song it is, but it's just really slow and kind of sad and depressing. And I'm like, this film has to open with an upbeat. Plus, it's like we're seeing these initial titles where the film does, for the record, apologize for kind of being offensive. And it's kind of this very downbeat song and a film that is about fun and sort of hilarity. And that did not work for me at all. It was shocking to see it. Like I said, I the, the first 20 minutes had a complete like documentary feel and this like serious tone to it. It was really strange. I was like, I thought the same thing. I was like, wait, I thought this movie was fun. And then you're like, well, I guess for people that aren't from here that don't know that much about ski culture, if you're trying to reach them, you got to tell this all up. But I thought the same yeah. thing. I was like, whoa, it started off so serious. And I suspect maybe the answer is that, you know, the film McConkie had not yet come out. That was going to be a couple years later. And so I suspect that Rob and Scott assumed we need to open sort of with an acknowledgement that there has been a passing of Shane. And yet, like now, it just since the category is called What's Age the Worst? And, you know, a couple years later, a very well done film, McConkie, came out. I just wanted to get into the fun of the film. And that felt like a pretty big disconnect to me. Speaking of things that aren't fun, another one, Rob McCormick's track jacket with the Google corporate logo stitched on there really just stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Which is so funny because Rob is like everyone's closest friend here. He was like Shane's close friend. He was Rob Gaffney's close friend. He's like a really, really empathetic guy, but he's not like center to everything, but he knows everyone. So I agree with you. I was like, but you know, Rob, Rob's kind of like, I don't know. He's just a dorky. He's McCormick. He's just like a dorky dude. So to me, like seeing him show up in a Google track jacket, um, well, one again, back to that age, the worst thing. Like back then, remember Google was like seemingly like oh, the coolest brand on the planet. Huh. And that, you know, their call sign was still like, do no evil yeah. or don't be yeah. evil or whatnot. And then they dropped that in like, I don't know, 2014. Yeah. And they're like, cool, we're going to be evil now. <laughs> we're going to be an absolute monopoly yeah. and ruin the internet for our own profit. There's also a reference to drinking Zima at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this really, <laughs> there, there are really times when this movie very much feels like it's older than it actually is, or the acceleration of the last, yeah, 13 years has been kind of remarkable, but I was like, wow, a Zima reference. Um, our, our younger that, listeners will just be like, what is this? What are they even talking about right now? One of the things I would say, like culturally, what is age the worst is the fact that pretty much new age Zima being like sparkling seltzers and all the, I don't know, what are the, I don't even know I, what they I are, but know. those are all like completely acceptable. Now, back then you used to make fun of people uh, that didn't, that would drink like something sweet uh -huh. that was an alcoholic beverage. And now it's just like completely acceptable, which is really funny. Like frat boys drink uh, the equivalent of Zimas now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Any scene you'd cut? Ooh, by far. Far the worst scene to me, which seemed absolutely unnecessary, was on there on the road trip to Utah. They're going through the desert and suddenly they pull out guns and start shooting guns and then like holding them like they think they're gangsters and saying like infidel like that scene had to go. 
there was no point of that scene whatsoever. Mm. Like shooting guns in the desert, nothing to do with skiing, nothing to do with humor. I don't know why. I, I don't know why that, that, that maybe it was trying to get that 60 min, nine minute length, but that scene had to go. That scene had to go. I, I wrote down just the Altoid Hummers. It's really creepy and mm. gross and weird, and I, it just makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. So he has someone from this, that mountain? No, that was like a central uh. point of it. The fact that that final scene of John Lange rappelling into <laughs> the hollowed out tree and finding it, like, I'm like, wait, did he really stick his dick in that freaking ma- in that mouth of that freaking thing? I think he I did. Think he did. Which led me to believe, and well, man, I'm just going to spoil it, but like, Lange would have won. He, you get a million points for that. Like, there was, <laughs> like, if you had to str- strategize for the game, that's what you do yeah, first. Fi- like, it, don't go ski lines and take clothes off. Go find the gnome. Go find the gnome and like, do it, you're gonna win. Do what you need to do, huh? Okay. That's, I mean, yeah. fair enough. I just, they're real, it's real creepy looking. I know it's a staple. Y'all can have your thing from back in the day, but like, yeah. Anyway, that's what I wrote down. Uh, that's not gonna be a fan favorite, I know. Okay, next question. Any scene you'd want to add or what do you wish the film explored further or showed more of? I think we have kind of a same same answer on this one. Mine, actually, I wanted more of Rob skiing. Oh, that's right. You had Rob skiing. Yep. That's a great answer. I was just like so blown away by like his little mini Alpine segment. I was like, oh man, he's such a good skier. And I just wanted kind of more of that. But otherwise, no, like, yeah, I think there wasn't much more to I add. I mean, the, the the thing I wrote down is just women playing the game. And Jackie, yeah. I mean, yeah. Ingrid is interviewed for a minute. I take it she probably didn't have two weeks that she could take off either for this. So yeah, that's the, that's what I wrote down. Okay, um, the Attention Span Award. Is this film too short, too long, or just right at, you know, 69 minutes? Well, before you mentioned that it was 69 minutes, I actually had that it's too long. But the fact that that is a part of the joke that I never noticed whatsoever, I'm like, well, I guess it's perfect. I th- but as a film, it definitely could have been tightened up a little yeah, bit. I think that's, yeah, we should keep the 69, but um, it probably could stand to be a bit shorter. I'm actually really interested in these next two questions. Um, we call this the recasting couch of the film. Who back then could have been the alternate stars of this film? I think the answer is just kind of nobody. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have an answer for it. So that's, that's, I there guess we're go. on the same page. Yeah. Cause like, I don't, I, it was, it was a moment in time. It was the culture of Palisades at that time. It was reflective of Shane's passing and paying tribute to him. I don't think it could have been done anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And, I've been lucky enough to ski in a lot of different places and spend a lot of time in them. Like I've spent like three months living in Utah, three or four months living in BC, three or four months living in Jackson. And there's definitely a far different culture in Olympic Valley and Palisades than any other place. So I don't see anyone being able to replace what was done in us. So kind of spinoff question of that. If you shot this film today, who would you want to see star in it? And and I'll say, I sat on this for a while because for a minute I was like, I don't know who I'd want in this. And and specifically thinking about in the, the a kind of star, the kind of single personality of the film. And I've, I finally arrived at an answer and then I started fleshing out more names here or filling out more names. 
But did you have thoughts on this? Yeah, I just, it, I don't have any names. I just want to see the book, A Climbing Guide to a Certain Ski Mountain, created. So wherever that is, same sort of thing. Every single like little variation mm-hmm. is rated something. And this game to actually take place at that mountain. I'd like to see it done in France, mm-hmm. though, because as Sylvain <laughs> said, there are no rules in France. You can get naked and poo and shit in the middle of the run. So because uh, I don't think you could actually accomplish it with the extra bonus points being very heavily weighted on farting in the tram and um, being naked and being ri- really ridiculous. So I would want to see it accomplished and done with on that same two week schedule, because I think that's a feat of endurance but at a different mountain. So maybe in being in, in Europe, I'd like huh. to see, I'd like to see it done. So someone's got to like, I don't know whether it's a uh, verbier, whether it's uh, Chamonix, it's got to be something, but it would be cool to see if you could actually accomplish a game. Cause the movie takes a, such a twist. And I remember when I first watched it being like, Oh, it was still fine. The movie turned out fine. It was just fun and funny throughout, but watching it again and seeing the game end, I was like, Oh man, the fact that it ended is like kind of a bummer because it really would have been interesting to see who would actually come through with winning this, how you could actually do it. So that's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you kind of raised the question, which I, I alluded to a while back, like, could this film even be made today? And or a film like let's call it the updated, you know, NAR 2.0 or would the title of that be 2 NAR, you know, like play on the sequel to NAR? NAR. That's yeah, totally. I'm going to take, yeah, I'll take sure. credit for that one. Um, And I think the answer is right. It seems very unless you have an incre- I think to quote Rob Gaffney, unless you have an incredibly sanitized version of the game that almost makes the game like it wouldn't really be. It's not really the game anymore. Uh, it's hard to imagine too many ski areas in the U.S. allowing that. Crested Butte would have potentially been such a place. I'm not sure under current ownership that would be a possibility. But um, so I think your call about, well, if if it could even be made maybe in somewhere in Europe and maybe particularly France. But as I started thinking about the like, who would you want to see starring in this game today? And I I... I took a while, but I think maybe the single individual that would kind of be the representing closest, like the modern day spirit of a Shane or a Rob, would it be like Parker White? Yeah, Parker White does embody that spirit in the most natural way. Someone like, yeah, he'd be pretty good at it. Um, Different, which I think is good, Um, because I, I think that's one of my main critiques of the movie of, with time is looking at it of being like oh it's kind of the same joke over and over and it was just a tribute to shane it didn't have originality to the jokes throughout yeah. it like you start to see like by the end of the film it's just everyone yelling at everyone i'm the best skier on the mountain mm-hmm. and you're like how many times over can you say that and it still be funny like of course when you say it for the first time to someone completely random that has no idea about this game it is kind of funny but once everyone knows the game it's just like Okay, you're just being repetitive. Someone like Parker, he's just original Mm -hmm. in the way he does things. So I I like that nomination. Yeah, and then and then from there, I started thinking like, what about a Carl Fosfed? What about a a guy who has to Mm -hmm. be in the film? As far as I'm concerned, Tyler Curl. Who Tyler? Yes, Tyler Tyler would. He, I mean, he would. He would win. I think somehow. I think then Mm -hmm. and then if you think about, let's get Jackie. We want Jackie like in Tunar. 
And then what about Connor Ryan, Johnny Collinson, Kate Zeliff, Sander Hadley? Yeah. I feel like we actually could flesh out a really interesting crew to I started I I started on this question thinking like I don't think we have the personalities and the people today and I I came to a very different conclusion uh by the end of this. I I could envision a very good group of folks doing a very good modern take on the original game of NAR. I right. agree. Pretty good. Hottest take award. Did we already spoil our hottest Ooh. takes? I well, this is a hot hot take. And it's kind of weird. It's sort of contradictory too, and you know, it's also kind of inflammatory in in certain ways. But it's a uh, uh, this movie both ruined skiing and saved. This is a good for episode number one, Cody. You're 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 coming out hot with your hottest take. Okay, please explain. Yeah, it's a hot it's, take. I'm gonna I'm just gonna go out there. So it's you know I'm gonna go with the the saved. It. I'm gonna have the good news part. And I don't think skiing didn't need saving or anything like that. I think like quite often we over dramatize it that. You know, certain points there's been in times in skiing, ski culture has kind of gone down and it's come back. And but it hasn't been like, I don't know, some collective movement to like save it. I think in many ways, though, this injected and made sure that Shane's humor was everlasting and uh, and spread wide. I think it like spread this kind of this culture that developed in this in this valley because of someone like him and it spread it wide. And I think it. It shows in the way that people be like, I love that movie because it's just like, go out with your your friends and go be ridiculous and don't take yourself seriously. Ski rad stuff, do cool stuff, but like, don't make sure, you know, don't get flamboyant about it. Don't get egotistical about it. Be like, laugh about it. So in that regard, I like that. And I think it's good for skiing to have that. I always contrast like surfing versus skiing and especially at that time and how serious surfing was and how. It was about, it was like, it was not having fun. You couldn't smile in the lineup. You couldn't talk to people in the lineup. It was like, if you stepped out of line, what was the most acceptable form of having a black wetsuit, a white board and doing a top turn? If you did anything differently, look differently, you like you were ostracized. Whereas this, a movie like this and a, a spirit like Shane, you celebrate being different, being weird, being nerdy, being funny, making fun of yourself. Why I was attracted to the sport, but on the, the ruined it, which again is a bit harsh of word but it's just kind of like what i saw from this film is so much further is just like oh like it's just repeating the same thing over and over it's not taking the spirit of originality that shane brought and doing something new with it it was just like repeating his jokes over and over and i've seen those jokes now repeated for 13 years and they're not funny anymore and it's like hey like take the original point of this movie which was what i said before of what it saved it um, what was good for the sport of skiing and do your own original thing, be creative in your own way, not just repeat the jokes of, of a hero and not just repeat the same thing and try and do that. Cause I still see, I'm like that the characters I see in NAR, I still see across the spectrum and they still act the same way and do the same thing. And you're like, it's not, I don't know there's nothing original or awesome about that. Like do something new create your own culture so that's where it's kind of like i i see aspects in the culture of nar just kind of be mimicked and it's been continued to mimic for 15 years and it's mm. not original anymore mm. so that's the 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 yin and yang of mm. this is like yeah. this movie has that where it's really good it's really funny and it's awesome to have it but it's also like don't just mimic it you're taking the wrong thing from it whereas you a pro call out is the only thing you know from this movie and you're just going to do it for 
every every day for the next 35 years. Wow. Your hottest take is also a very solid take. So big, big credit to you on this one. Couple final questions. We kind of already answered this. I had sort of lingering questions. Um, could this movie get made today? I think we have said, well, it could, and maybe yeah. it has to get made in Europe. Should yeah. this movie get made today? Today, to Nar? It sounds like you've already said you'd love to see, you'd like to see it tried, yeah. like at a, at a different area, and let's make the book or let's reinvent the game, not just copy the game, but like use that spirit of originality to do something unique and and new uh, in the spirit. Well, I think just having humor in, in ski films is really yeah. good. And I think like it's and again, it's like seems self-promotion-y being that my wife made the film. But here old my kid takes that spirit of just making fun of something, mm -hmm. taking something as serious as being uh, a mom professional athlete in an industry and just flipping it on its head and making fun of yeah. it and making light of it. I think there was another movie called Ski Good Money Will Come that was genius. And hopefully we'll get to that mm. one day. I'm going to nominate cool. that film for it because it's a very underrated film. So I think like while making NAR 2, I think is possible and probably should be done because the game itself wasn't accomplished in here. I do think the originality is being done. There are funny films yeah. out there. There are things that are promoting not taking yourselves too seriously. And that's Again, going back to my my hottest take is like it, it is happening just in a different way. Yeah. We've got, I will say, I mean, also coming out. And by the way, we have an episode of Blister Cinematic scheduled with Elise and hopefully Jackie joins us as well about, you know, here, hold my kid. We're definitely going to do Better Off Dead. I haven't told mm, you this, but uh, we're going to definitely do that. I think we will likely revisit Hot Dog. And then Katie Burrell has coming out in early 2024, this film Weak Layers, which I think will be another like I, it's it's actually I sort of had forgotten a little bit when some months ago when I first started thinking about this and and thought we're going to do NAR first. I did kind of think like, man, has like comedy and skiing stopped being a thing? And the answer is no. I mean, you've already spoken well about this, but I think the answer is no, and it's going to be fun. I haven't seen Elisa's film yet, and I haven't seen Katie's film yet, and it's I'm happy that we're going to get the kind of modern rendition of the funny ski movie. That's great. Happy. Happy these things exist. Second to last question, who won the movie? I've got a few different nominees. Yeah. So my first is Honest Use of Red Bull. Like... <laughs> We've seen Red Bull in ski films forever, mainly in the form of like a helmet, but like they were like drinking them to stay awake. You could tell um, one of my favorite scenes is when Spencer Cordovado looking super hungover in the RV and shirtless and they hand him a Red Bull and he takes a sip and is like, "Woo!" like he immediately wakes up. So I would say like like actual use, honest yeah. use of Red Bull, um, because like I didn't. Most viewers probably know that, that like when you watch X Games and they get down to the bottom of the half pipe and they give them a Red Bull water bottle, they're drinking water out of the Red Bull water bottle because like in the middle of a high stakes competition, you're probably not pounding Red Bull. But this film like really was you, you did it. It's so, amazing. Um, I've got um, Chuck Mumford. I think he definitely won this <laughs> film. Like one, because he was really funny within yes. it. And I thought he like. He's just a genuinely funny guy. And then you think of the character arc that that guy had. Like, here's a guy that took that originality from this film yeah. and made a multi-million yeah. <laughs> dollar business out of it. So you're like, he won definitely. 
I do think ski culture overall, mm. like it's a positive influence. And I think that partly won the film. And then Ween, I had no idea that Ween done. I'm like, was such a big influence that Ween was like a huge influence on SpongeBob SquarePants and South Park. And like, they're this big band. And like, how did they get into this movie? Um, and then lastly, it has to be said, Rob Gaffney, um, because I think he's the thread that ties this whole movie together with his recent passing. It's even more poignant. Um, he does the most kind of philosophy of why Nar is important and does a good job of explaining that. And I think he, to me, is the one even though it's a tribute to McConkey, even though Scott edited this, even though all the people that are in it are ridiculous and it's their big shot on camera for a lot of them. And, you know, just the, the whole spirit of the sport in the movie. I do think Rob walks away from this film as kind of like he is mm -hmm. he's embodying he's the torch bearer for this spirit. Mm -hmm. And it was really kind of cool to see that. Um because he does it in, I think, a more modern way. And he did it in a way that was like, this is why this is important, not just ridiculous and funny. Who do you think? Why? I went from, so my fourth place was Chuck Mumford for all the reasons yep. you've said. Third place, I want to give a shout out again to Tim Conrad at Unofficial for the, the fact that this film got made is rather remarkable. Um, and mm -hmm. I think Tim deserves that shout out. And then... I had a tie for first place with with Rob and Shane, um, also for the reasons mm. you've said. And but I am a little surprised. I thought your number one was going to be John, didn't you say? Like, I mean, the guy who actually won the game. Oh, John Lange. Yeah, he should have actually won so, the game. He got the Altoid Hummer. He got the million point. It. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't it's hard know. to say. But we're trying to. I, we're, I guess we're talking bigger picture. Bigger picture. So. I actually think honest use of that's Red Bull amazing. Is like the first time I've seen that, that, I love that one. All right, Cody, our very last question. What is your final grade of this film? And we're kind of going from worst to best here. So would you call the film overrated, properly rated, underrated, modern classic, all timer? So among the pantheon ski films or comedy ski films or the absolute number one best film in its class i'm gonna go with properly rated because it is an iconic ski film to those that are with like you have to be someone that is obsessed with ski culture to have watched this film it wasn't a major theater release it released at a weird time in january it's on only a vimeo page on the unofficial yeah. network site you can't even it's watch it off site weird, anywhere actually, else yeah. so and so it, I, I think it's just, it's properly rated. There's things that we've talked about that are problematic with it. Um, so you don't want to boost it too much because it's not a modern classic. It doesn't stand the test of time in many ways, but at the same time, it's not like overrated because it was kind of important in its own sort of way. So I think it's properly rated. I think it's, you know, to a lot of people is a really awesome ski film. And I think in certain ways it, you know, doesn't stand up to mm -hmm. 13 years later. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think it's properly rated. That is, it's, if you're kind of deep into ski culture, you should watch it. And if you aren't, then you probably shouldn't watch it. Mm. <laughs> if you're maybe watching it for the first time ever today, you might be a little bit like appalled. <laughs> um, I accept that answer. I think we'll go with properly rated. And Cody, that means we've come to the end of episode number one of this movie podcast experiment. I like how this went. I think this, I I think this is going to be a lot of fun. 
I wonder how much trouble we're going to get into too along the way. But um, I think this is cool. And I think it is, uh, it feels good to really revisit some of these things. We're going to have a chance to really, I think, dissect and document, revisit, dissect, debate a number of these films. And, and that all feels really good to me right now. So per usual, um, thanks for another good conversation, even though we really didn't talk about, you know, I guess this just shows our versatility. We don't just have to be talking about the news. We can be talking about the past no. as well. I mean, if there's <laughs> totally no, if there's if there's one thing I feel like comfortable being a reviewer of, it's ski films over time. So I'm glad that we're doing this. It's a great way to kick it off. Can't wait for the next. Awesome, one. man. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Well, that's it for our first episode of Blister Cinematic. I want to say thanks to Cody for the fun conversation. Thanks to the amazing and strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed our first go at this whole movie podcast thing, then we would love it if you would share the episode with some of your friends who you think might also be into it. That's it for now. And we will catch you tomorrow over on our Gear 30 podcast, where we have a phenomenal conversation with the one and only Ted Liggety. So we'll catch you over there tomorrow on Gear 30.